we are continuing today in a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago, and we're calling it Life Starts Now. We're going to journey through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to spend several uh, weeks, well, actually a few months doing this. And uh, so I just want you to just grab hold of this, you know, this biography, this kind of good story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And we're going to kind of keep trying to draw down how this makes sense for us today, how this applies into our life, how you can implement this on an ongoing way. Uh, God is so good to have allowed Scripture to record for us the life and ministry of Jesus. And so today we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. I invite you to start finding that as we as we get started. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And uh, we'll read that in just a moment. But I want you to remember that the very last words of Jesus, in, back in the, you know, in the last chapter of the previous book, Matthew, the last words of Jesus was a command. We call it the Great Commission. He commissioned his followers. He sent them out. And he said, I want you to go to all the world. Don't exclude any place. Don't exclude any language. Don't exclude any race. Don't, don't exclude any gender. Don't exclude anybody. I want you to go to all the world and make disciples, followers of, of him. Make disciples in every nation and baptize them in water. That's on confession of faith. You're baptized and teach them all that I've taught you. That was Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. Teaching is really important in there. Jesus' ministry, we sometimes forget that Jesus' ministry was was primarily a teaching ministry. His life, his death, his resurrection were his mission, his mission of salvation for us. But what he did in the kind of the actual functioning of his ministry was was primarily teaching. But his teaching was supported by, affirmed by, uh, you know, um, endorsed by miracles, uh, healings, demonic deliverances. That's how Jesus kind of authorized his teaching. Now, people chased after Jesus for the miracles. I mean, who wouldn't want free bread? Who wouldn't want to be in a boat with a guy that can walk on the water? I mean, that is pretty amazing stuff. I think I'd want to be around that too. Um, you know, but like, hey, Jesus, do that walk on water thing again. That was so cool you did that last time. Can you do that again? Like, it's only recorded once. But I would like to have said, can I try next time? Like, right? That's not the point. That's not what, what Jesus was about. People chased after him for those miracles, but it was really about establishing the teaching of the kingdom of God, that his presence has come and he's here, that we're saved by faith and not by the work of observing the law, keeping the rules. And we saw last week, as he started in this passage, that Jesus began, he started by surrendering himself to his heavenly father, First, in the act of water baptism. Jesus had no sins to repent from, nothing to confess, and yet he was baptized as a way of identifying with us. And that surrender, we decided last week, created this identity of God and man. And that identity created the authority that he has, and that authority opened opportunities for him, which we're going to see borne out in today's passage. So if you've got a Bible with you, whether it's paper or phone, doesn't matter to me, I invite you to stand together as we're going to read Mark chapter 1, starting at verses 16. We love to respect God by respecting His Word, and that's why we stand together, if you're able, uh, for the reading of God's Word. He writes this, verse 16, Mark chapter 1. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, 
throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further uh, up the shore, farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets, and he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. So one of the reasons we're calling this series Life Starts Now is because there's this immediacy when Jesus calls these guys, just go for it. Verse 21, Jesus, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. If you've ever been on a trip to Israel, I want you to visualize. No doubt you went to Capernaum and you sat in that, that uh, synagogue there, and it was right by Peter's mother-in-law's house and, and all that. I just want you to visualize that right now. Verse 23, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Why have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. And Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion and, they, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It is such authority. Even the evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. This is about following and choosing to follow Jesus, beginning to follow him. And the challenge, I think, for us, and at least for me, uh, as I've kind of been pondering this, is really, what am I following or who am I following for real? Like, what am I following after? You know, I, you know, I recently, but earlier this year, um, I kind of switched from Facebook to Instagram to do a little of both. But like, now I'm on, now I'm on, I'm an Insta user, right? So it's so embarrassing when people my age start using social media because we're so bad at it and it's so awkward um, trying to be cool when we really aren't. But anyway, that's beside the point. But, you know, it's this thing of like, I'm like every, I'm, I'm no different than a 15-year-old girl. Like, I want to know, like, how many followers do I have? And who am I following? And if I follow someone, do they follow me back? You know, like, it's so shallow, but it's kind of the where we live. That story of my life, Jeremy says exactly. I can totally. <laughs> Jeremy gets it. Jeremy gets me. I get. I love that. Right. So the real question is, who or what am I following in my life? Who, who or what is shaping my values? Who's speaking into my life or what's speaking into my life? What's, what's shaping or creating my, my values, my priorities, my, my worldview, how I interpret things, how I think about work and finances and relationships and all those things. See, those first disciples, this is so amazing. They left all that was secure and all that was familiar, familiar in order to follow Jesus. They had probably had some awareness of Jesus, we think, from being in that area. But when the call came, they followed. Right? Peter and Andrew left their, their business. It says they left their nets and they, they followed Jesus. They're at a key point in their life. They're probably, 
I don't know, let's say 30 years old, 25 or 30, and they're like in the prime, business is just about to really take off. James and John, they left the family and the business. It says they left their father and the nets. In fact, James and John were probably prosperous because it says they left their father, the nets, and the hired hands. It was a pretty good, this is no small industry they've got going. Like these guys know how to make money. They're not, they're not country bumpkins. Like these guys are businessmen. And they're moving on from that enterprise. We'll come back to the moment because I'm not sure. There's some question about really, did they really leave? Because some people say, well, does that mean I have to leave my business to follow Jesus? Does that mean I have to leave my occupation, my profession to follow Jesus? No, that's not the point. But there's this principle here of what I'm setting aside to follow Jesus. I I have a hunch that John and James may have maintained a, a stake in the business because later on they they have a boat to cross the water back and forth. So it could be that John said, oh, we can use one of my family boats. That's pure speculation on my part. We do know that after Jesus left, they never went back to the business. They never went back to their business. So did that business run and fund them? Possibly total speculation, but I'm saying that that there's this sense of I'm going to leave what's familiar and safe and comfortable to follow Jesus. Because Jesus may call you, part of the call of Jesus might exactly to be in business, might to be in ministry of, 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 of serving others. It might be in the business of teaching children. There's ways that the Lord calls you right in that. The point is they left what was secure and familiar. And, I, and you can't, because you can't pick up and follow Jesus if you aren't leaving something behind. You've got to set something down. Let me, you, you know, you don't just add a bit of Jesus to your busy life. I need a volunteer who's near the back to, thank you, Patty. Could you please bring me a cup of coffee? Like a nice, maybe a, a half a cup of fresh hot coffee. See, you can't, you can't just add a little bit of Jesus to your busy life. Just kind of work it in. And, and like, okay, I, I'm a bit of Jesus now too. There's this moment where we have to set something down. Now, I've got two cups of... Patty, do you mind coming right up on the stage here for me? I've got two cups of coffee here, cold coffee. And I really appreciate you bringing me that coffee. So... Um, but I don't really want to give up the coffee that I have. So how about this? I'm going to try to hold that cup. That's and hot, though. It's okay. I'm ready to sip that uh, coffee. Hey, but you're mm. preaching. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm you take it back. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to set something down. I'm, I'm going to set something aside. That's now in my left hand, and I'm a right-handed. So there you go. there's this moment of giving up everything so that I can have what Jesus has for me. Which is better because it's hot. That's right. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks, Patty. Oh. Becky learned from me to drink coffee properly with no cream and sugar. Why anybody would ruin a perfectly good cup of coffee or make flavored coffee. My goodness. Coffee. We lay down our nets to follow Jesus. You've... If you're going to, this is the test for all of us. Jesus, is there anything I'm gripping onto that's keeping me from going where you would have me go? And so we're always challenged to ask things like, like, 
Like, what do those nets of those disciples, what do those nets represent in my life? Now, there's some years ago, I remember I met a guy years ago. Oh, my goodness. I was like 18. I was in China. And I met this guy and he said, yeah, the Lord called me to be be a missionary. And he called me to, to leave my wife and leave my family. And I'm like, well, you're going to go back to her, right? He goes, no, I don't think so. I'm just... I'm like, no, that's not, you did not hear right, <laughs> right? It's this, in the midst of that, who, and who or what am I following? What's represented by the nets? Now, people like me, in my position, may have created a bit of a problem for you. Maybe it seems like Jesus only calls the, the few that can make a living doing this. Did you know, I, I don't have an outside occupation. The church uh, provides for me so that I can do this on a full-time basis. Very, very grateful for that. And so I can give all my working time to this work of leading this church. And so maybe you think that, well, you know, professionals like pastors and missionaries and seminary profs, they can really follow Jesus. The rest of us will sort of watch and like hopefully it all kind of works out. Listen, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I Forgive me for when those of us have created a divide for you. Because... You, you might feel like, I want to be all in for Jesus, but I'm, it's unattainable for me because I'm not a professional. I want to tell you this, and this is what this story teaches us. When we get the, these young men being called, Jesus doesn't create a divide. Jesus calls us from ordinary places. If you're taking notes today, that would be a good one to write down. Jesus calls us from ordinary places. Whatever your ordinary is, the classroom, the business office, the, the 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 shop floor the 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 sales route whatever whatever it is that Jesus calls us from those ordinary places these guys were working people running their business raising their families showing up day after day or in the case of fishermen night after night so that they t- have fish to take to market in the morning it's not like they had a bunch of free time on their hands free of responsibilities and family duties somehow even in the following Jesus. Because you're going to see it next week. Jesus, Peter has a, a wife and a mother-in-law to take care of. They, nothing particularly high or low about these followers. They're ordinary, regular guys in regular places. And if you feel completely ordinary and nothing kind of special about you, good, good. That's where Jesus calls you from. That regular place. You might be happy doing what you're doing, content, you love it, and suddenly Jesus says, come follow me. He might call you into something. I love telling this story about a couple in a church when we were church planning. I was like 30, how old were we, Becky? About 30, I was 32, 33, 34, somewhere in there. And there was this very old couple in our church. They were 45. Because <laughs> remember, when you're 30, over 40 is ancient, right? And so this 45-year-old nice Mennonite couple, I mean, they were like a, so white bread. It's unbelievable. Just decent, salt of the earth types. And our church at that time, from, we were living in Canada at the time, and we were, we were sending groups to Mexico for a week at a time. Go down, build a house, come back. Go down, build a house, come back. Go down, build a house. So at least twice a year. And they said, oh, we, we'd like to go in one of those groups. So sure enough, they went down, they built a house, they come back. They said, we need to come talk to you. I'm like, oh, what's going on? They come in and say, we think God's calling us to Mexico. Like, oh, okay. Uh, no language, you know, not, no, don't speak any Spanish. You know, like, okay, well, how are you going to figure that out? Well, we're going to go on the next trip and really test it out and see if it's really what the Lord's saying. 
So sure enough, and their friends, of course, were like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? You're going to be so far from the grandkids. They were, their daughter had just gotten married and was going to have kids, you know, all that stuff. And uh, sure enough, they went. For a week, they come back. Yep, God's definitely called us to Mexico. <laughs> okay, white bread, like whatever. So they sold their home, quit their jobs, sold their vehicles, bought a truck, loaded it up, and drove to Mexico and stayed there for 10 years. We're like, and people are like, not those two. Like, they were the really nice people, right? Like, like predictable, ordinary, serving Jesus in this, this dirt poor village. I, I wonder what God might do for one of you, one of us in this room. I, I've got a little, I just want to show you a slide here of, of something our, our denominational mission is putting on. It's called SOAR Mexico. Um, S-O-A-R, not S-O-R-E. Um, SOAR Mexico. It's an all-ages mission trip to Guadalajara. Uh, it's really reasonably priced. It's 500 bucks plus airfare next year's spring break. Right now, I, I, I would expect that somebody, you just got a nudge from your spouse, you got a rib in your elbow saying, we should do that. Did it happen? Did someone get the nudge right now? Did, boy, <laughs> he got the nudge from the Holy Spirit, right? Right? Regardless of your age, and see, this is all ages. My mom, when she was uh, about 80, went on one of those trips, those house building trips, because she went with my niece and she took her granddaughter, two of her granddaughters, and they went. And guess who the favorite of the trip was? The 80-year-old, of course, right? Um, she could still swing a hammer at that point, so she did all right. But maybe the Lord's going to say, you know what, just try something. Just from your ordinary place, just try something. Just do something different. Like, do something you didn't predict this morning that you would do when you, when you walked in. Why not? Like, I'm in the mind of saying, when when there's a call in your life, unless you have a good reason to say no, why not say yes? Why not? It's a, it's a week, spring break. Jesus calls from ordinary places. Sometimes we just have to say, yes, yes. Because remember, last week we talked about, you know, your point of surrender creates your identity, which creates your authority, which creates the opportunity. Some of you are looking at like, oh, I'm at the opportunity point right now. And he's only going to lead you to opportunities that are good. They might be hard. They might be costly. They might be challenging, but they're good. They're good for others and they're good for you. Is there anything that you've been invited to today that needs your yes, Lord? But here's why we hesitate. I'm not good enough. I don't have the money. I, I don't have the expertise. I don't know enough Bible. I, I've got sin stuff in my life. If anybody found out, they'd, they'd toss me out. I'm not spiritual enough. My kids are messed up. My, my marriage is rocky. And so we disqualify ourselves. Do you really think that Jesus would call somebody who's already disqualified? If Jesus is calling, he's qualifying you too. If we had to have it all together before we could follow Jesus, oh my goodness, let's go home right now. I'm dead serious. Thankfully, and you can write this one down too, Jesus forms us as we follow. Jesus forms us 
as we follow. I really hope that as I follow Jesus, I'm not what I was 5 or 10 or 20 years ago. I'm not all the way there yet. You can ask my family. They will surely attest to that. Look again, verse 17. Jesus, Jesus called out to them. It says, verse 17, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed. Or a more familiar translation says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people, gatherers of people for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus did not start by saying, Hey, uh, you guys, I'd like to call you to follow me, but... Um, Hey, have you guys been faithful going to the synagogue every Sabbath? And, uh, you know, you guys are fishermen. Have you, have you kicked all that, those cussing habits you, you might have had? And, uh, you know, like, hey, have you fixed all your, your sin issues? Are, are you still struggling with pornography? Cause then I can't call you. So I just want to make sure you've got your life together. And then, and then come and follow me. And make sure you have like at least ten Bible verses, you know, before you, none of that. None of those things are true. Why? Because Jesus forms us as we follow. We follow. Jesus does the forming, the making. Right? He's making you into something that's going to be a benefit to other people. He's willing to address those issues in your life if you'll let him, if you'll be honest, if you'll find a place to be transparent with other people. Those areas of brokenness, of sin, those places that you're struggling with, that you places where you've been hurt and wounded, relationships that are just broken and just in this cycle of continual mess. And he wants to pour into you. Why? So that you can pour into others. I had an amazing kind of text message interaction this week. Someone said, hey, hey, we had this really fantastic experience at Awana. And, and I said, well, you know, thanks for serving and giving leadership. And the response was, it's an honor. Why? Because as Jesus is pouring into you, you get to pour into others. It doesn't stop with you. You're, you're not a pond. You're a river. You're a stream. It flows. That's where the life is. You need to know that you are loved. Like, Christy was talking to us this morning. God does want to bless you. Some of us feel like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. That's that's too self-serving. God wants to bless you. He wants to pour into your life. He wants you to experience an abundant relationship with Him. To flow through you. Blessed to be a blessing. If there's one thing you could go out of here with today, would you be like, okay, where can I... Where can I bless others as an act of following Jesus? How can I be a blessing to others? But again, maybe you were misled. Maybe you were taught wrong. Maybe you were led to believe that following Jesus was was more of a self-improvement program. You know, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have a happy life. If you follow Jesus, he's going to fix your kids or fix your husband, fix your wife. Going to fix your job, fix your finances. You know, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to get to go to heaven. That's all like it's all about me, me, me. And there's truth in all those things as well. Jesus does work on those places in our lives. But Jesus never called his disciples to follow purely for their own gain. He didn't say, come follow me, I'm going to make you rich. Come follow me, I'm going to make you popular. Didn't say those things. Follow me and you're going to gather others into the kingdom. For them, the language was 
bringing in fish because that's where they that was their world. Going to be a fisher from fishing of fish, fishes, fish, fish, angling to <laughs> angling for people for the benefit of the kingdom. There's truth to that. that. This is why every church needs to constantly, constantly remind ourselves. This is not Bethany, just exclusively. Every church, we've got to remind ourselves constantly. We're not just here for us, for ourselves, for our own benefit. We're, we're, we're here for the benefit of others. To lead them to the cross. But doing it together in community. That's why we did the party in the park last week. That's why we're doing Journey to Bethlehem. That's why we're going to do thanks, stuff at Thanksgiving. Place where you can gather others to... Lead them to a full life in Christ. And that's why you always hear me talking about this. We put aside, we put aside our preferences, the things we, the way we like it done. We put aside our traditions, the way we've always done, like what we're familiar with and what we know and we can go back to because it's predictable and it's safe and like, well, that's how we did it, you know, in the past. So that's how we should keep doing it. And, and we leave all that behind for the benefit of others. We, we really, we want to get rid of the, the sort of good enough mentality. Oh, that's good enough. That's good enough. And instead, we want to be like people of great hospitality. That's why we, we, we don't get the cheap coffee. We get good coffee here. It matters. That's why we want to have proper facilities. That's why we want to have, you know, comfortable environment. Why? We're removing barriers so that we can help create connections Connections with our friends, connections with our family members, connections with neighbors, coworkers, even enemies. Creating connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. And the invitation of Jesus is to come. Let's look at this. Let's go to this next slide. The invitation of Jesus is to come. That's the, the point of decision. To follow him. That's leaving the familiar and the saved and the things that we love. So that he can Make us that formation. He's forming us. He's building something. He's he's making you something from what you were to what you're going to be. Fishers of people, giving given a purpose to lead others to Him. I do love. This is kind of an aside, but I do love that the first two pairs of disciples are brothers. I can imagine that there are moments like, oh, dude, you're following Jesus. I know what you did last week. I knew what you were like when you were growing up. Like they knew the best and worst of each other. And they're following Jesus. Husbands and wives sometimes can do this to each other, following Jesus and like, oh, you're going to, oh, sure. You're going to go to church and lift your hands and worship when you lost it yesterday and you were a jerk. And yeah, because God is worthy. You know, so like these guys knew the best and worst of each other and they're going to follow Jesus together. I think it's kind of fun. Discipleship is never meant to be just kind of a me and Jesus. It's a, it's a we and Jesus. It's an us. It's community. It's a fellowship. It becomes a family of God's people. Community. I, I just want to remind you that, for example, that next steps lunch next week, if you've been around Bethany or if you're new, you've been around for a while, join us at that and learn how to meet, kind of engage a little bit more in this particular Family, But the, the rest of this passage then goes on to demonstrate some of that initial forming and following that Jesus is going to do. These, these new disciples were right there with Jesus, close up, right in proximity with him. They're in on the, they're going to see exactly what they're going to be trained for. Look, look again at verses 21 and following. It says, uh, 
Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. They're in the, they're in the synagogue. Verse 23, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? A little conflict there. You know, it's an evil spirit, but there's sort of a multiplicity of evil spirits within him. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus, cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion and came out of him. What's happening? Jesus proclaimed the good news. And the demons, still real today, by the way, did all they could to steal God's glory. They're trying to take the attention off of Jesus and put it on themselves. They're trying to upstage Jesus. Jesus does not freak out. Doesn't panic, but he has authority. And the same authority given to every believer, everyone who follows Jesus is the same authority. Silence the demons, cast them out. What's happening is simply this. The kingdom message is confirmed by kingdom authority. That kingdom message is confirmed by kingdom authority that Jesus has come to do things in a new and fresh way. As Jesus taught, the demons interrupted him. The powers of evil, listen to this, listen. The power of evil wants to, loves to distract you. Just when you're, just when you're ready to engage, your phone goes off. Something goes crazy in your house. You're, you, you, you realize that you forgot, I don't know, something else. Right now, some of you think, oh, did I unplug the iron? Like, the devil loves distraction. The enemy loves distraction. Why? Especially when you're hearing the word of God. Don't be distracted by Kurt. I asked him to come up and help us wrap this thing up a little bit. Thank you, Kurt. Why does the devil want to distract you when we're in the word? The Apostle Paul said in, in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ, hearing the word of God. That's how your faith builds. That's why it's important to listen and engage, take notes and be involved when we're opening the word together, because that's where your faith builds. Faith comes by hearing. Think about what you're listening to, because that's where your faith is going to go. Last Sunday, I, I, you know, I said already, I was trying to explain that, that Jesus' identity as both the Son of God and fully man, created this authority that he had, in particular, authority over temptation. So in that desert battle that, that Jesus had, where he was being tempted by the devil over 40 days, his weapon was the Word of God, Scripture, and he declared it with authority. He resisted sin by, by holding up the truth of God's Word. That was his sword to strike the enemy down. In this case, this is a little different now, Demons have manifested in a church service, in a synagogue service. In this case, he dealt directly with the demons. This time he didn't quote scripture. This time he took authority directly over the demons. So the demons had made a claim on that man's life for whatever reason. However, that man had opened up that opportunity, opened up the gates of his own life for demonic influence, whatever had happened. Jesus took authority over those demons, silenced them, cast them out. And, and, and here's what's really great. Just if you're watching and the disciples are watching how to do this, Jesus doesn't let things get sensational or wild or out of control. It's not a spectacle. It's not a circus. And why didn't Jesus seek? Jesus could have let this thing run for a while. He could have gotten to a screaming match. He could have let, and we would have been like, wow, Jesus is so cool. 
he could have kind of drawn attention to himself in that moment. Jesus never sought to draw attention to himself. He let the Father direct our attention to Jesus. Jesus came for freedom. And so this deliverance was an act of compassion for that man to set him free. That's the motivation for us. That's the drive for us. And there are times that you may or may not, you may not even believe this stuff is real. It is real. And there may be a moment when you are encountering the power and the force of the demonic. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be in a panic. You have the authority of Jesus to take authority over the evil spirits. Cast them out. Send them to the abyss. Because it's driven by compassion. And so what happens as a result is that people recognize Jesus' teaching has authority. It's a life-changing message. It's the true word of God. And they're like, oh, this is the real deal. And they, they honored Jesus after that, not, not for winning a big sensational battle, but for setting the man free. Here's the really cool thing. Every time we read this account, Jesus still gets honored because we say, wow, Jesus, you set that man free. Thank you, Jesus, for your authority over all things and all powers. And the disciples saw that we we don't need to make a name for ourselves by watching this. Just operate with compassion and authority and those opportunities that it gives you and seek to set people free from whatever oppression has a hold of them. And then honor will land where honor is due. So don't worry about that. I invite worship team. I think we got one closing song. At the end of the book of Mark, you're going to see again as he does, as, as is recorded at the end of Matthew, Jesus uh, grants authority. If you've put your faith in Jesus for salvation, he grants you that authority. You don't need to be afraid. Don't, don't go looking for demonic showdowns. Our goal is we make the message of Jesus known. We proclaim his word. We point people to Jesus. We're called to be gatherers of people for the benefit of the kingdom of God so that they can find freedom, find forgiveness for sin, find healing for brokenness. I begin to follow Jesus afresh. I, I would say, for me, the challenge this week has been, it's a cup of coffee moment that Patty helped me with. Is there anything in my hand right now, is there anything that I'm holding on to in my life that's keeping me from responding to the invitation that Jesus has to follow Him? might be my what people think of me might be my financial situation might be my my work it might be that you you know better than I do what what is going on is there anything that I'm clinging to that keeps me from following Jesus on a day to day to day to day basis some you need some places where you're going to test that out a little bit Maybe some of you are going to go on that Guadalajara trip because you say, Jesus, I just need to do something that's out of the predictable, out of the ordinary, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to discover, and I'm going to hear from you. And Some of you need to do something as simple as 
take a different tone of conversation with that person across the office that you work with. Some of you need to walk into your classroom tomorrow saying, God, can you help me see these children as beloved, precious creations of yours that need the good news somehow in their life? Some of you have got employees that you think, I gotta treat them with the kind of compassion of Jesus even as I'm still their boss. Whatever your environment is, what is it that you need to set down? Saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. What are those nets for you? These guys are amazing. They up and they go. They have a moment after Jesus has been raised to life. I mean, after Jesus has been crucified before they realize he's been resurrected where they're like, Oh, well, I guess it was a bust. And they go back fishing. They go back fishing. And they do really well. They have an amazing catch of fish. And Jesus appears to them and like, oh, wait a second. No, we're following Jesus. Can we stand together to close in prayer and sing the song of commitment? Jesus, I'm looking forward to one day I, I get to have a conversation with Peter and Andrew, James and John. I want to know how it really went for them, what it felt like, I, what their friends said to them, what their family said to them as they charted a new path of following you. I, I, I'm looking forward to finding that out. But I know right now you're calling to us, to calling to me and calling to us as your people to follow you, to make make us people who can gather others for the kingdom don't let us hold back Jesus I'm so thankful that you are so patient and you form us even as we follow you we don't deserve it but you do and I'm greatly grateful church as we sing this closing song I just invite you to say Jesus what are you calling me to today I just keep that conversation open with the Lord through the week Jesus, what are you calling me to? What does it mean for me to follow you this week? God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. Let's sing the song, I Will Follow.